And I thought it was important to get your perspective before making a decision. Are you suggesting that this is your decision to make? Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast, Gimme That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 53 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today we're talking about Captain Janeway's controversial decision in the Voyager episode Tuvix. And since it's all about ethics, I had to invite a philosophy professor and frequent collaborator, Ryan Blake. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hi, thanks, Siskoid. And of course, um, damn you for making me watch Voyager again at the same time. Mm. I, I suffered as well, because I rewatched it as well. Uh, but um, before we get into it, obviously, you've been on the show before. We don't need to know, again, your, your Star Trek credentials. But philosophy credentials. I called you a professor, but how much of that is true? I'm a third of my way to being a professor. So I went to a philosophy-only university that literally does not exist anymore. It has been dismantled and is moving to Belgium. I want to say as we speak, it was probably delayed because of COVID, but I went to somewhere called Haythrop College, which was originally a Jesuit college that teaches philosophy, theology, or combined honours. And it only allows in 400 students per year. So I'm going to be very smug about that. And so that's that's my degree. My degree is in philosophy, specialising in pre-Socratic, Socratic, and uh, modern European. So I, 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 okay. I cover a broad spectrum of time. I was going to say it's all Greek to me, but then there's like that second, that third one. <laughs> um, so so uh, for me, uh, I, I have to admit, I've only taken two university philosophy courses ever. One was an initiation, sort of introductory class, and I remember nothing really from it except what I would normally know as a you know as an adult. <laughs> and uh, the other one was a journalism ethics class. And that's kind of an oxymoron today, but uh, (laughs) those were my only real courses. And otherwise, whatever I've gleaned from reading and uh, (laughs) and discussing. So uh, hopefully I am equipped for this conversation because to quickly recap for folks who may not have the episode in mind, here's what happens in a freak transporter accident. Tuvok and Neelix are merged into a new combined life form that calls itself Tuvix. Tuvix is not only more at peace uh, than either character was alone, I think, but frankly, better liked by the crew. A way to restore the status quo is discovered, and Janeway makes the call that Tuvix should be split into the original two again, which Tuvix does not want to do. Uh, So he's thrown kicking and screaming into the transporter, so to speak, and split back into Tuvok and Neelix Anyway, it does seem that Janeway is not happy about, you know, making that decision. It's just the episode ends on a, a, you know, a head hangs heavy kind of moment. But still, she did this. So the question is, did she do the right thing? Did she not? And um, through the episode, we do find that Tuvix, he's Tuvix for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. 
And in that time, I don't want to say builds relationships because is he a separate person? Is he not a separate person? He has like pre-established dispositions to different crew members already, but he rebuilds those relationships as a new amalgamated personality, a new consciousness. So when he's split up against his will, I guess the question, the, the simplest question to ask is, did Janeway commit murder? Did she murder Tuvix? I'm asking you this as a, as a starter, as an, <laughs> as, as an aperitif. Um, the answer is yes. Uh, join us next week when we talk about do Klingons like fighting? <laughs> I believe, yes, I've looked at several philosophical treatises on this, several different schools of thought. And there is, strangely enough, from a Vulcan perspective, uh, I'll come to this in sort of more detail, from a Vulcan utilitarian perspective, you could argue the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, so her action was justified. Perhaps, but there are holes in that as well, which we'll come on to. But every, mm-hmm. every philosophical school I have looked at, and I went on a, a, a pretty deep dive on this, every single one says, yes, that was murder. He was an independent living creature. And and just to, to kick off from a, from a Star Trek perspective, because I don't want to, <laughs> even though I don't like Janeway, I think she's a poorly written and this is my personal opinion, poorly acted character. That by way of comparison to other captains in Starfleet, I just want to say this from a Star Trek perspective, from a Star Trek philosophy perspective, what is the mission of a Starfleet crew? Among several items, it is to discover, find new life. Exactly. To seek out new life and new civilizations. Janeway got a new life dropped on her doorstep, a completely distinct, unique life form, not to be found anywhere else in the universe, a Vulcan, Talaxian, meld, hybrid, whatever you want to call it. And whether we're talking about murder, as is distinct from anything else, she killed it. She went against the Starfleet Charter, I think, purely because she missed her best friend. That's it. I think it was an entirely selfish act. Uh, he begged for mercy. You don't beg for mercy unless you have a life to lose. He was an independent, sentient being with his own independent, sentient thoughts. He had a distinct and separate personality. He was not Tuvok. He was not Neelix. He was both of those combined. And he was more than the sum of his parts. I mean, uh, even Janeway said in her log, without saying it directly, that more or less everyone liked them, him, Tuvix, more than they liked the separate parts. And he was better at both of their jobs combined. He was the cook and the security chief. And he did a better job. Sort of kick off with just a really simple by way of comparison. She basically killed a child. He was only two weeks old. So from a linear chronological point of view, he was a child. Yes, obviously he had the inherent maturity and biology, etc. But what is a child if not the combination of two parents? Both parts contributed to this new life form. Like a parent, two parents create a child. And if you look at it like that, it's absolutely murder. It's absolutely murder. And we won't get into the whole crazy physics of what happened to all the mass and everything and why wasn't he twice the size and all that stuff. But, uh, and I'm sure you'll want to get into this as well, duplicates don't do well. Merging split people do not do well in Star Trek. It's always disaster for whoever it is who split or merged or what have you. Also think of it like this, using a comparison to other Star Trek uh, episodes. One, measure of a man, where data is proven to be a new life form. Again, the idea was uh, Maddox wanted to take him apart so he could make new ones. Ethically, what's the difference between what Maddox wanted to do and what Janeway did? Because Maddox wanted to take apart a living sentient being that had his own thoughts, feelings, etc. Take him to get apart from spare, for spare parts so he could make new ones. Janeway has got this new sentient biological being and splits him apart 
because she wants the distinct parts back. I don't quite understand, and I think it was just lazy writing. Surprise, surprise, Voyager lazy writing. But I think the Voyager writers were very lazy because someone on board start on board the Voyager should have cited that and said, well, you can't do that. He's a distinct life form. We have rules about this now. Just because he's not an android, tear, taking him apart because you're upset is wrong, is illegal. It's the exact same thing. And something else I want to point out, which is relevant to the, what we're talking about, but what really terrified me about this episode more than anything else, because I know, I know people talk about, well, at least Janeway looked him in the eye when she did it. Okay, one... That makes her a psychopath. If she hadn't been able to look away, if she ha- if she had to look away because she was horrified by what she was doing, that wouldn't have made her weak. That would have made her a decent, compassionate human being. So there's that. And secondly, no one in the crew speaks up for Tuvix. Not one of them. He's a bit of a Christ figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it kind of is because he's he's running around that bridge saying, "Do you not see this is wrong? Do you not see this is wrong? She's going to kill me. You know what she's going to do." No one says anything. They just look at him a little bit. That was the most disturbing thing. Apart from the fact that this, I think, proves that, sorry, Janeway is a psychopath because she did that and she looked him in the eyes and did it. That's cold. That's not strength. That's being cold-blooded and detached as far as I'm concerned. And, and like I said, I, I, I'm, I've trained enough in becoming a therapist that I, I can tell the difference now. And I know that wasn't what they were going for, but that's what the net result was. If you can look someone in the eye and inject them, know you're killing them, there's there's a degree of psychopathy there. And the crew are, are either also similarly afflicted or Janeway has got them so scared that they won't speak up against her because no one says anything the security guards don't question her here's the, here's the clincher from a from a, another ethical point of view which I think really tilts it into Janeway being I don't want to say evil but like you know as close as you can bump up against that the doctor who's playing both sides against the middle here the doctor says I will not do this it's a violation of my Hippocratic oath I will not do harm to someone okay the doctor whose entire existence is geared around life, saving life, recognising life, etc., etc., has said, this is a moral and ethical boundary I will not cross. This is, the doctor basically tells us, he gives us the answer, this is murder, this is harming a sentient being. Unfortunately, whilst he's also, you know, Hippocratic, he's also hypocritical because he allows Janeway to do it. He creates the, the serum that she injects into him that splits him. Okay, if he, if he was truly ethical, and this is... I don't know if this is lazy writing again or a plot hole or whatever you want to call it. It's bad either way. The doctor, if he was truly being ethical, should have deleted that cure. When he found out what it was and realised what it meant, and it was a violation of his ethical subroutine, Hippocratic Oath, he should have deleted that and locked it out and made sure no one could get access to it. Okay, he, So that was, again, I, I think that was more poor writing than anything else because that was inconsistent. Uh, a doctor who had developed that would have should have just deleted it and said no but anyway so yes long story short she absolutely commits murder um and i wonder what you thought about this because i was thinking about the two rikers episode right there there are many episodes where characters are split or combining characters is less frequent (laughs) but when whenever we split someone and then we recombine them then are we not killing the two different consciousnesses the thing that happens usually and we can cite uh kirk there's like the evil Kirk and the meek Kirk. Yeah. We can cite, uh, it happens to Bellana. There's a Klingon and a human side that gets yep. split by uh, the Vidians. When we're talking about those instances, those two instances, it is clear that being split will result in their deaths. That this is not a natural, you know, that they are weaker without the other and that it causes, it will cause health problems. Absolutely. So, so recombining them is a cure. 
to the ailments of the... With the Riker clone from Second Chances, Transporter clone, we have two Rikers, and you think... Exactly like this episode, like Tuvix. You're watching Tuvix, and you know this isn't the status quo, and you know that there are two actors here who have jobs and contracts and cannot be removed from the equation. No matter how much you like Tuvix, let's say, compared to Tuvok and Neelix as a viewer, which is possible, there's no way at the end that Tuvix is not destroyed as a concept, because we know in the real world, you know, that's not how a TV show works. So we know that's going to happen. So we need a justification. We as viewers, our own ethics, require that there be a reason for this to be undone. A reason that's not going to be character assassination. Yeah. Uh, which, which, you know, this episode has often been, you know, accused of. But with Second Chances on TNG, when there are two Rikers, surprise, surprise, the other Riker is allowed to live. And that's a surprise because normally... You know, that that messes with the status quo only slightly, but we can't have that. And the Riker clone would be killed, sacrifices life valiantly at the <laughs> end or something. But that doesn't happen, which is a nice surprise. Now, in Tuvix, and because they're like the Riker clone, there there is no cited health reason for him to be killed or reintegrated into the original Riker or anything like that. Now, in Tuvix, they could have gone several ways. They could have said... This would have been a cop-out, but still, normally, in a normal Star Trek episode, come to find out Tuvix is is dying because of this condition, because the, the two DNAs are incompatible in, in the long term. Okay, now he has to do it. Or some sort of situation where he accepts only Tuvok or Neelix, or like being two people, will solve a certain problem that will save the crew. Okay, Tuvix sacrifices his life and splits up. Now, that, that would be a, an ethical, I'm, I'm calling it ethical, but an ethical situation where the audience can now accept that this is going to be the result. They don't have either of those plot points. There's nothing like that in the show. Instead, they just find a solution weeks out. By that point, Tuvix doesn't want to be split up. So uh, we can question that as to what is in Janeway's mind at that point. How does she resolve that the lives of two men who are gone are more important than the life of the one man that's standing in front of her, you know, and this is the same decision she makes at the end of the series Mm. as Admiral Janeway. Mm. She's ready to, to completely destroy the timeline and change events to get a result that she prefers. So in other words, we might say what's past is past. And now you have to deal with the lives that exist now, but she's ready to undo any number of lives in, in you know in, in the end game she's ready to undo any any life so that she can restore to life certain lives so some lives are i guess more important than others mm. for Janeway no wonder Q likes her i mean she's the you you look at pound for pound she's the biggest mass murderer in human history i mean she commits temporal genocide in the last episode so when you say is she willing to commit murder yes she absolutely will she kills literally uncountable number of life forms by changing the timeline all because she's upset her first officer and is dead and her security chief has gone a bit mad because of a disease so you know i I don't get why anyone ever defends janeway in these decisions she's proven that she's not ethical but that is you know part of that character at least from this point i don't know if tuvix is still pretty early it's second season it's the end of season two pretty much yeah yes and so uh, i haven't checked like what episodes have come before but this kind of the start of where they try to give her 
tough dilemmas and then she makes the wrong choice. Well, I don't know. She makes the wrong choice hmm. is what I'm going to say. Although in the Star Trek you know, setup, that really shouldn't happen or it should happen. That's fine. But with consequences. And there are no consequences on Voyager because there's a reset button at the end of every episode. Yeah. And no one ever mentions this again. And Tuvok and Neelix are not upset no. that she's done this. We don't know what their attitude is at all we about this because the episode ends. They're like, oh, oh, hi, Captain. She walks out. She's got a sad face. End of episode. Let us never speak of this again. So the fact that there's no, like Cisco can make mistakes or hard decisions and they will haunt him. Mm. They will come back to haunt him. And there's, because there is a progression in the relationships on D Space Nine that, uh, and on TNG for, for that matter, that you don't see on Voyager as much. So in this case, she makes this, what we call big mistake, it has no impact on any of her relationships. No one thinks that she murdered a person that they liked. The doctor doesn't hold it against her afterwards, even though he's sort of bound by, I will say he is bound by his programming in that moment, that yes, he can't do this, but he also can't go against the captain, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And if I want to like fill in a plot hole, Harry Kim helped him develop the thing so Harry Kim can reproduce the thing anytime he wants. No, I suppose so, that's fair, that's fair. So there, there's no way out, I mean... In, in the real world, there might have been more discussion. There might have been his attempts at sabotaging the thing. and then But the episode is already running uh, long because there's hardly an epilogue. And in this case, we needed one. So the fact that there's no consequence is a problem of the show and the writing and the production of it. But that's how we come to see Janeway as making these big, these wrong decisions and then never having to pay for them. Is, is, I think, the problem. I've talked about the ethics of being a viewer of this, but I, I believe that's the problem. Ultimately, a character on a show can make mistakes and can be unethical. But the fact that there is no lasting repercussion, there's really no ethical payoff to it, then it seems to, the show seems to say, uh, we as a show are morally bankrupt, as morally bankrupt as this choice was. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, we, because of the, as you said, because of the writing, there's bits of information we don't get that would be incredibly useful to have. For example, I would actually advocate for the idea that three murders take place here because, well, Tuvix, obviously, and we don't ever hear... At no point does Chuvix ever say, oh, I can hear their voices in my head. I can hear Neelix and Tuvok. No, he's, he says the opposite. He says that he has the memories of both, but he feels like he only has one consciousness. Exactly, exactly. Therefore, from that point onwards, we can see... I'm just going to call them T and N because I'm going to trip over otherwise. T and N are dead. They're gone. Their consciousness has ended. Not murder, but in, in an accident. Exactly. Which means that when she... So, okay, yeah, sorry, three deaths uh, rather than one murder. I, I apologise. When she brings Tuvok and Neelix back, those are not the same Tuvok and Neelix as the ones before. Now, I know Star Trek has wibbly-bobbly science, but the fact is their continuity of consciousness ended because that's just not how it works. When your consciousness ends, that is your end. Now, I'm not getting into the ideas about the ethics of the afterlife, etc., etc., but biologically and according to all the science Star Trek knows and the science we know, those two people ended. They ceased to be and they became this new continuity of consciousness that is Tuvix. So when she brought those two back, she was killing, murdering Tuvix and bringing two new, very good copies of those people back. Well, there's almost a sense, and this might explain why there's no repercussions on their end. And the mystery lingers as to what they think of this 
from being returned. Hmm. If they're basically split in two and returned to their state from before the, the beam-in, then they are reset. So in other words, even their, and in their case, even their consciousness of what just happened is gone. Tuvix being gone, the consciousness that was, that was Tuvix is gone and evaporated. It does not exist in either man. It's not like split up into, I only have half the memories. That doesn't work. So, and they kind of look like, oh, hi. You know, like nothing's happened and they're so, sort of more confused than anything. I think that maybe sitting there in the in sick bay, they have no memory of the last two weeks. No, exactly. The writers, the writers, as you say in England, the writers bottled it. They took the coward's way out. They did not have... Tuvok or Neelix say, oh, I remember this, or I don't remember a thing, or what happened? And, Nothing. And that would have charged the ethical debate and giving it a new a new interesting strata. But like you said, there's no continuity between episodes, so... No, no. And there's no chance to explore this. The next episode should have been all about their reaction to this and then resolving it with the captain or something. Because, I, I, I mean, my question is, I'm wondering what, what Janeway's thinking. And she never verbalizes this, even though we hear her, you know, thinking out loud and talking about Chakotay and such. The idea that where are the two that she's missing? In the new combination, where are they? Like when Tuvix says, I don't wanna I don't wanna go. <laughs> Basically, mm-hmm. I don't want I don't wanna be split up. <laughs> Isn't that Tuvok and Neelix saying it? And so she's going against their wishes, but she seems to think that they don't exist. Or whatever they they are in Tuvix. They are now biased because Tuvix has its own uh, survival instinct or something. That they're sort of under control of this Tuvix persona. Is that what she's thinking? Because she somehow justifies that the person that is the two people that she's trying to bring back is telling her not to bring them back. I don't think she was thinking very much at all. I think she just missed... I don't know what her feelings are towards Neelix. Apparently she was very fond of him. Yes, sure. Yeah. Um, Do you want to buy a bridge? The fact is, her defence, which is a completely empty defence and is all whole and no substance, she says before she does it... Then you know Tuvok was a man who would gladly give his life to save another. And I believe the same was true of Neelix. She has just defeated her own argument by the argument she cited because the counter is, well, let them. Let them. This guy's only been around two weeks. Yes. Let them lay down their lives for this guy. This is the worst piece of writing in the episode. In terms of dialogue, because she, the argument she makes is self-defeating, where she she's trying to force him to basically sacrifice himself, and that's how he takes it because it's badly written. So he's he's, he's saying, well, I don't have the strength to sacrifice my life for these two people who were here but now are gone. You know, so her argument is that well, they would give up their lives for you. Well, they have. Yeah. They have, Janeway. And when he's saying, no, let me let me live as a combined person, yeah, yeah, it's like them saying, yes, we're sacrificing our lives, Janeway. Can you hear us inside here? We're sacrificing our lives so that this new entity can continue. And, uh, again, this is summary execution murder. She's worse than that woman in the TNG episode, the drumhead. There's not even a kangaroo court. It's dictatorship. She doesn't even let someone advocate for him. She's got the... I don't want to say the cure, that's wrong. But she's got the, the, the MacGuffin that will split them, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, now, all right, let's assume that they know for 100% certainty it will work. Why doesn't she just then, therefore say, right, look, this is a huge decision. It's never been done before. We're supposed to find new life and civilizations. So let's have a... And they did it a few episodes earlier, or I think with Death Wish, the Q episode. Have a trial. 
have someone advocate for Juvix and, and say, look, the Starfleet Charter says we're supposed to look for things like this. This is dropped in our lap. Is he alive? Let's prove he's sentient. Let's prove he's a distinct person and that the other two people are gone and have a court case and discuss it. This should have been a two-parter, but they take a really cheap way out because Tuvix could have said, you know, they could have hooked him up to a brain scanner, gizmo, whatever. Let's check his brainwaves. There's one brainwave here. There is no instance here biologically where we can prove that Tuvix and Neelix are still alive in this thing. And I know this is Star Trek and it's Voyager, so it's the hind end of it as well, but the science of this is particularly a stretch because it's like, you know, that orchid that merged with them, which no one talks about, does a lot of genetic heavy lifting in this. But if you extrapolate this even further, going by Janeway's ruling, her dictate, it is dictatorship because she didn't allow anyone to defend Juvix. To bring it into the real world just quickly, to resolve this point a little bit. Again, when Janeway says, I'm speaking for them because no, because they can't speak for themselves. One, she isn't. She's ignoring her own point and what they would say because I think it's fair to I think we can genuinely say Tuvok and Neelix would have laid down their life for a new person I think they absolutely would have Tuvok especially and Kate Mulgrew the actress who plays Janeway when there was hoo-ha about this she sent a tweet out saying something about Janeway was right because Tuvok and Neelix couldn't speak for them well why didn't we hear their opinion oh no we couldn't and she thought she was making a, a very clever point that they couldn't speak for themselves but you know that's like saying well, why don't we ask the murder victims what they think about what we should do with the murderer? Okay, it was, it was a stupid thing to say. With all due respect, I'm sure Kate Mulgrew's a lovely person, but that was a really dumb thing to say because, of course, Tuvok and Neelix couldn't speak. And the fact they couldn't speak proves that it was murder because they couldn't speak because they didn't exist anymore. They were dead and Tuvix existed. So so both sides of the Janeway equation were wrong in this instance. What about the military implication? You can, on the field of battle... You can command people into giving up their lives. If, if you send somebody to the front, they may die there. Uh, and there are su such things as suicide missions and commanders can give those orders. I, I'm saying that knowing that the Neelix constituent, <laughs> you know, in here accepts her commands, but is not under her command, is not a Starfleet officer. But certainly Tuvix seems to be. So could she, you know, militarily speaking, is that, is that an argument that we could accept? Uh, not in this instance. Now, the point you're making is true. She could... Okay, so let's say they recognise Tuvix as a Starfleet officer. So he's got all those rights and privileges and responsibilities. So if she ordered him into battle as security chief and he gets killed, fine. That's perfectly within legal limits. But as a military officer by any military, you know, decent military in our current world, you aren't allowed to summarily execute someone on the off chance you can bring someone else back. There's no precedent for that. She injects him. Functionally, what she did was that. The difference being, Tuvix committed no crime. His crime was life and the sentence was death. Unless they had expressly said, this cure, oh, got to stop saying cure. This serum, this doodad, only works for the next five weeks or six weeks. You know, that's as long as you've got. And then after that, the genetic coding is set and he is Tuvix forever. Unless they say that, she has got no reason, she's got no justification at all for even thinking about using this this serum. Tuvix was healthy and he was happy. And although this isn't justification exactly, everyone liked him. He was able to carry out his responsibilities. So there was nothing, it wasn't like, oh my God, we're down a security chief. And the only way we're gonna get through the Delta Quadrant is if we've got the best man at the post. No, he was better than Tuvix. They basically said that, which I think was like a half-hearted analogy for children in the next generation and improvement and being more than the sum of your parts i think and then i think they backed out of it maybe i don't know i might be giving them too much credit there was no need to do what she did when she did it now obviously you can't put like a ticking time bomb on his life that would be even more unethical than jayway normally is but it, if they had said 
we've got two days left. If we don't inject him and separate them, they're stuck. At least then you could kind of get behind Janeway's thinking of, I want my best friend back. I've only got two days to do this. I need to make a decision. But she just blithely rushes into it, gives Tuvix no chance to say his point of view, apart from screaming at people saying, how can you justify this? What really makes me laugh uh, in a sad way is ethically, the only ethical person in this whole episode is Tuvix. Because one, he forgives her, which he didn't need to do. And in all fairness, she doesn't deserve. And two, as he's saying to people, look what she's going to do. She is going to kill me. This is murder. I am alive. She's going to end my life. This is murder, plain and simple. He says out loud, you're all good people, but you're going to have to live with this. And to be honest, I don't think they are good people. Anyone who met Juvix and was friends with him and didn't speak up, I don't think can consider themselves a particularly ethical or good person anymore. Because they didn't... But even if they'd failed, because it's not about success here, ethically, the fact they didn't say... Captain, should we not think about this? We don't have to rush this. Should we not talk about this? Should we not prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Neelix and Tuvok are gone or are still there rummaging around in his head? You know, and, and give Tuvix a chance to defend himself. Because everyone loves him. He's a good person. He's doing the job. We don't have to rush into anything. I think the Voyager crew loses his ethical component after this. Uh, actually, I didn't tell you this before, but this is the episode that really broke me with Voyager. Mm. Because after this, I just thought, you're not really a Starfleet crew. Funnily enough, if the Maquis had taken over the ship and done this, would have been a different, different moral strata because they operate by different rules. But Starfleet, after seeing how Captain Picard deals with things, it might as well be a different universe. It might as well be a different franchise because Janeway... What do you think Janeway put in her logs? And what do you think Starfleet Command said when they read those logs, assuming she was honest? Well, we hear the logs up through to the, the point where she takes her decision. You know, she So she talks about this happening... It's there. I don't know what Starfleet thinks about it afterwards, because again, there, there's a strong failure of writing on the show. Like this is an episode that could not possibly take place in a single in 45 minutes. It just rushes to the end. It requires so much setup, and then once that setup is is established, we got to rush to the end, and things don't seem to make sense. Scenes don't seem to happen. Like people are not speaking out because there's no time for it. So I understand that it's a question of format, but once you realize this, you scrap the episode because there's so many shortcuts that it's going to make the characters look bad and the, the characters are the ones you have to cater to. If people don't like the characters, you're out of a job, basically. It's, you know, you, you're going to shed viewers and that's what happened in your case. Yeah, I mean, it's problematic and people still talk about it. And, and this isn't an episode that I wanted to do so much as an episode that people asked me to do. You know, it was something that it's still on people's minds. So obviously you weren't the only one that was shocked by this and had problems with it and is still bringing it up in conversation. You, you talked earlier about the Vulcan philosophy. One could say that Tuvix is kind of an embodiment of uh, the Eddic philosophy because it's a, and it is a combination and, you know, he seems to be better at everything uh, as a combined person. So it, it, it's a manifestation of that, of that idea. But you mentioned the Wrath of Khan thing, the needs of the one versus the needs of the many. Yeah. Well, it's what we call a utilitarian argument. I mean, I was looking at it through that lens as well and thinking, well, is there a reason for... You've got limited resources. You're lost in the Delta Quadrant. Eventually, those resources are going to be a problem. Isn't one person <laughs> a better scheme than two people? <laughs> yep. Especially if they're going to carry out both functions, you know, without losing a beat. Or is it better to have the cook and the tactical officer as separate beings? Like, can we make an argument either way about 
Janeway thinking of the crew, the ship, the running of the ship as more important, like getting all these people back to the Alpha Quadrant as something more important than the lives of any one or two crew members. Well, here's the thing. Like I said, the Vulcan utilitarian argument is a very good argument in and of itself. The needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. We know what Kirk would say about that. That argument here is empty because free will is subverted. The utilitarian argument only works if everyone adheres to it because, you know, the needs of the many are served by the many. And critically, there's an episode with Ensign Lonsuda, sorry, Crewman Lonsuda. Sure. The Vatoid played by Brad Drift. So in that episode, if you're talking the utilitarian argument, Janeway shows her philosophical and intellectual paucity here because he is a cold-blooded killer. Okay, cold blood, no regrets. He gets a bit of a calming down mind whammy by Chuvok, funnily enough. But he's mentally ill. He, he really does have a psychosis. Exactly, exactly. And there's no cure for it. It seems like they don't have a counsellor on board because God knows that counsellor would be the star of the show every week. Um, and she does not execute him. She locks him in his room for the duration of the voyage using ship resources. So she's not philosophically consistent. She's got this person here who's extremely useful, more useful than the component parts. So the utilitarian argument kind of falls by the wayside because, just as a side note, everyone comes around to liking Tuvix. And even Kez says, maybe we could have something. Who was Kez, who was Neelix's um, girlfriend. Lover. She's a lover, for, 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 uh, for those who don't know. So even from a utilitarian argument, one, she throws it out the window because it's not a matter of free will, which utilitarianism has to be. And two... She's got a cold-blooded killer locked in a room using resources. So she can't even use the best for society argument because from a utilitarian point of view, Suda should have been executed. Or, or left somewhere, exiled, you know. Quite right. Sorry, he should have been put off the ship or let's face it, if she's willing to execute a guy, she executes Tuvix. She's willing to do that. Suda, absolutely, if they can't find a nearby planet, should have been executed to save ship's resources. So she's not philosophically consistent with the utilitarian argument either. I mean, the only way that this is in any way acceptable, <laughs> I, 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 I don't like that they even suggested, but if the Tuvix persona is an aberration, like that she considers to be a product of a machine and not, like she decides that this is not a person. Well, I mean, that's what's happening. You mean like if the merging was forced on them as opposed to an accident or? Well, it is an accident, but I mean that she seems to believe for this to make any kind of sense that Tuvix, and, and it doesn't because she admits to liking Tuvix and that he's doing a better job than the other two men. And, you know, she's kind of charmed by him because he's got components of two men that she finds charming. And again, the, the writing doesn't bear this out. But if she doesn't believe, like this is an artificially created being through an, a transporter accident, so that he is not, in her mind, a person, whereas... Inside him are two people that she could unlock and bring out. But she has to decide that this is not her true consciousness. And everything in the episode tells us different. And you're right, like the doctor tells her different. And that should have ended there. I mean, if what are the ethics of this situation? The doctor says it's this. And he's by the book because he's programmed with the book. So... Exactly. At that point, there's no question. So when she goes ahead and she doesn't... I understand that the character, what the character is doing is doing something that she finds unpleasant. She's not doing it gladly. I don't. I don't believe that she is, um, yeah. based on expressions that she has when she's in private. Because she's a lot of this is fronting. A lot of this is showing the crew that this is the decision and it's unquestionable. And 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 she's also convincing herself to do it. She d does it so precipitously that it's like if I don't do it now, I'm gonna have 
second thoughts and I'm, you know, I have to do it now or I won't do it at all. <laughs> so she commits, she forces herself to do it. Because when the doctor says, I can't do this because Hippocratic Oath things, that should have been a moment of, okay, well then. But there's no time for that because, first of all, the show has to end. But but <laughs> also, she's sort of put in a situation, I mean, if, if I'm going to bat for the portrayal, I mean, you've got the script, you've got to portray it somehow to make it make sense. She's forcing herself to do it at whatever cost. Uh, and that cost would be her soul if the show had any character continuity in it. Yeah. It needed a um, Cisco in the power moonlight talking about his conscience to the camera would have yeah. served quite well here. Right. Exactly. I mean, we know that uh, Cisco has made uh, difficult decisions, but the way the show was written and set up and produced and, and had continuity of character, we understood that when he made these decisions and Picard also made some hard ones as well you know, Borg-related often, when the character seems to have a crisis of conscience, we can believe whatever outcome. But with Janeway, they just don't let her have that. And any ar any argument that she comes up with is facile and self-defeating. So it's it's never, she never convinces us. And then she also doesn't convince us that, or she's not allowed to convince us. Neither that she's justified, nor that she knows that she made a bad call or an emotional call. Because Kess as well is not able, when Tuvix goes to her and says, uh, please go and speak for me. Uh, and even though they've sort of reconciled, Kess isn't able to do it. She still loves Neelix. She wants Neelix back. So, she, But she's, I, I feel like Kess is a more self-aware character and tells Janeway that she can't do that because of. So she admits her bias. Yeah. She speaks for Tuvix, but also admits her bias. And so she's basically telling Janeway, look, I don't, I want Neelix backs, but don't listen to me. I'm super biased. So she's much more self-aware than Janeway in these instances where, ja so Janeway like turns on Neel on Tuvix and it's like, oh, this is a reason for Tuvix to be a bad person because he shouldn't have put you in that situation. <laughs> um, okay. Really grasping at straws to find a, something bad to say about Tuvix. And to make it okay to then kill him. But they never convince the audience. So that becomes, for us, our only ethical out is to reject Janeway and to reject the show on, at some level, which I think happened to a lot of fans. Let's say a mother gives birth, again, using the childhood thing. A mother gives birth and because of going, because of the trauma of that, she falls into a coma. All right, slightly hand wavy, but certainly no more than Voyager. The father goes into a sympathetic coma as well. The child grows up. Five years later, the doctor says, science is advanced. We've studied this. We can make a serum from the child's DNA that will wake them up, restore them to full functioning life, but it will kill the child. Is that an ethical choice anyone would make? Because again, For, no. functionally, it's the same thing. It's functionally the same thing, but without the wibbly wobbly science. Okay, it is the choice of killing one person for two people who are no longer with us, as it were. And that's, that's a much more benign example because they're just in a coma. They're not gone. Tuvok and Neelix are gone. Immanuel Kant resolved this thing, deontological ethics, the ethics of duty. And he said, we must respect the individual's life and dignity. The idea being, well, as Picard said, don't let arithmetic solve these, these issues. In conjunction with another modern philosopher, Derek Parfit, he said, basically, ethics comes down to you should not ever want to harm anyone else. Because there's no distinction between other people. We all influence each other. Our identity is interdependent. Tuvok and Neelix lived on in Tuvix. And Tuvix lives on in other people because we all influence each other. We all talk to each other. 
our identity is not contingent upon our body necessarily. It's about continuity with others that you have things in common with. You interact with people. And it just seems like at the end of the day, the only thing I can think of, the only because we don't hear Janeway's thoughts, and I think we should have done, because I don't think the log really carried anything. All I can think of is she really missed Chuvok. And the fact we get no follow through on this. I know people still talk about it, so you could argue by definition it's a good episode. But I think it's a very poorly written episode with a really good idea at the centre of it that could have been a really good two-parter. Unfortunately, Janeway's a little bit... Her philosophy is actually dictated by the show's love of reset buttons. So when she... A lot of that is is motivating her is is actually meta. There's no reason for the character to behave that way, but only for the show to behave that way is, is kind of the problem. Well, they, the, the writers and I think Kate Mulgrew as well, based on what I've heard about her, are so mad keen to show Janeway as this strong, as strong as any male captain, if not stronger. They've pushed her into this episode into psychopathy. And, well, the less said about the Voyager series finale, which is just insane what she does. I mean, it's proper... Again, this is a whole other episode, probably, but uh, that pushes her into, properly pushes her into evil. It's pure, selfish evil. And this is the start of it. I think, I actually think, and I know obviously we don't get this because the way the show ends, but it would have been great to have an episode or two afterwards where everyone finally goes to see a counsellor. And Janeway is cashiered out of the service because she's got the mother of all PTSD. She has had, this, the moment they get home, she should have had the mother of all nervous breakdowns. When she gets back to Earth, job's over, Oh my God, look at all these things I did. Technically, if you're a therapist, you shouldn't use the expression to describe someone's brain state. But but that's <laughs> but basically, her brain just melts and she realises everything she's done and she gets put into a nice therapeutic retreat on Bricer or somewhere and lives out the rest of her days. But what I do know is, based on this episode alone, and I know a lot of people disagree with me, but based on this episode alone, when she gets back, assuming that her logs were accurate and, you know, and they're backed up by other people's logs... She should have been cashiered out of the service. I know for a fact she should not have made Admiral because a person who acts like this, someone like that, should not make be making decisions for millions upon billions of lives because she just not has, pardon my French, but she does not have the mental software to cope because the fact that this is what she did shows that she does not think things through. I know we're talking about fiction and a, and a writer's room that was what it was. Taken in the context of Star Trek is something we care about and we look at the ins and outs of it, which is the point of this podcast, obviously. Janeway should not have done this and she should not have been Admiral. I rest my case, Your Honor. <laughs> That's why they cut out of the episode so quick. There, there's no way to resolve anything here. So Endgame is the same way. Voyager gets back home. Whatever happened, it doesn't matter. There's no epilogue. It's We never see them reach Earth. It's like ship, Earth, end. Because we can't deal with any aftermath of these events. Because they're not thought through to that point. So the ethics problem is Janeway. But it's also the writers who put out this these sort of anti-consequences, basically, in the, just the format of the show. You know, they lay it at our feet, where we have to decide. But for many of us, it meant rejecting the entire program because of it. No way to, to justify this at all, this action. You, you did not find a way in all your research. I, I tried. I mean, like I said, the Vulcan utilitarian argument had some weight. Closest. It was the closest, but again, the Vulcans do rely on free will and choice. That's the whole point of logic. If it's forced on you, like I said, Chuvix was not given a choice. Literally everything that even Janeway had said. Janeway defeats her own argument on multiple levels. This actually violates everything I claim to believe in and everything Starfleet believes in. There you go, Doctor. Put this back in the replicator. 
Chuvix, welcome to the crew. Okay, well, damned by her own words. Uh, so, uh, Ryan, why don't you tell the people where they might find more of your work? At the moment, you can find me on my Doctor Who role-playing podcast, Wibbly Wobbly Dicey Wicey. We're on Twitter, at WWDWRPG. It's a very niche podcast, but we're really, we're really proud of it. And my philosophy, my straight-out philosophy podcast, Decoding Life, which is at Decoding Life 1, that's the number one, is going to be coming back soon. As soon as I invent a 25th hour of the day, it is coming back. And that's where I take, you know, highfalutin philosophical ideas, much as we've discussed today, and break them down into everyday terms and how you might apply them into your own life. All right. One for Janeway. Thanks again, Ryan. Uh, there's the transporter. Take it back to England, if you dare. <laughs> After this episode, maybe not. I'll get the shot with Bones and Pulaski. I'll stick around for Subspace Transmissions. That's Star Trek News and your feedback on our previous episode. Welcome, one and all, to the Fire and Water Racetrack and Arena. Please direct your attention to the center of the track, where you will see 36 buses lined up between two ramps, a tank full of live man-eating sharks, and a high wire stretching over it all. The rocket cycle is warmed up and all the nets have been removed. Who would attempt these stunts just to entertain and inspire his audience? What kind of man? What kind of hero? There, coming in on a rocket-powered skateboard, it's the death-defying human flycast! Join me, Max Romero, and a rotating roster of guests as we dive headfirst into the colorful comics of Marvel's The Human Fly. The Death-Defying Human Flycast is a limited episode podcast spotlighting the adventures of a man who comes back from a crippling auto accident to become a mysteriously masked stuntman with a mission to inspire others to never give up hope. We'll also talk about the real-life human fly, a daredevil with a murky past and a desire to be the best stuntman in history until the day he just disappeared. The actual human fly would vanish as suddenly as he had materialized, but not before sparking a comic series featuring what would be the wildest superhero ever. Because he was real. The death-defying human flycast. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's gonna be wild. Incoming subspace transmissions. Well, obviously, the big news is that a Star Trek Picard trailer has dropped with our first look at Q in this era. No surprise, he's matching Picard getting older. The storyline seems to deal with time being broken and our characters made aware that they are not living in the proper timeline and must fix it somehow. The poster shows contemporary Los Angeles, but I don't know if Picard and crew can get us out of the darkest timeline, frankly. The voice cast of Star Trek Prodigy has been revealed. Riley Alazarqui as the big scaly eight-year-old Rock Tak, who is a Bricarian. That's from the New Frontier novels. Brett Gray uh, as the Maverick Dal. Angus Imry, who was Merlin in The Kid Who Would Be King, as the Medusan Zero. Wasn't expecting a Medusan. Professional funny person Jason Matsukis as the Tellarite Jengam Pog. Ella Purnell as Gwyn, a girl of little means who dreams of the stars, and Dee Bradley Barker as the Blobby Murph. A couple of nice surprises there, as much in the cast as in the character details released. The show premieres later this year on Paramount Plus in the US and CTV Sci-Fi in Canada for a 10-episode engagement. 
Now that crowdfunding is done on the Voyager documentary, where are you going to spend your money? Well, there's a documentary being crowdfunded right now called 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever. And it means to take a look at E.T., The Thing, Blade Runner, Dark Crystal, Tron, Conan, Road Warrior, and Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. And if that sounds like something you're into, you can help the film come out in the fall of 2022 for the 40th anniversary of all those movies. Find it on Kickstarter. And now a selection of your comments on our previous episode, assembling the comics collection with guest Rich Handley. Rob Kelly says, really enjoyed this episode. God help me. The granular details of trying to find obscure material that Rich was in search of really interests me. I would love to be assigned a project like that, if just not on Trek stuff. I found all the details of compiling these collections fascinating. It was a great interview. I think Rob is having Aquaman Shrine flashbacks. Uh, Ted Kelvington says, great episode. I enjoyed listening to it as I was unboxing a package of several Marvel DC Wildstorm and IDW Star Trek comics that I received in the mail today. Now I'm too invested in the single issues to collect the Eagle Moss editions. Chris Franklin says, fascinating show. I was honestly unaware of the Eagle Moss collection, but Eagle Moss puts out so many cool subscriptions for folks like us, it's kind of hard to keep up with. Thanks to Rich for taking the bull by the horns and truly curating all of the Star Trek comics, and I agree with the sentiment. Trek has grown to the point that not all of it can be contained in one linear continuity, so it's best to think of it in a multiversal way. I will add the Mago Trek universe as another example. There, the Gorn looks a lot like Spider-Man's foe, the Lizard, dressed in animated Klingon attire, and the Mugato decided to dress like a space hippie, while the Talosian, or Talos as they are called, dresses like a circus clown. David is Gutierrez likes what Chris is saying. It's all fiction. Nothing counts. And so everything does. It's up to you. Uh, great show. I think we all have our great curator fantasies. I'm glad your interviewee was able to channel his into a living. And finally, Jack Bond says, I've read some of Handley's articles on Star Trek and Star Wars. I also want to thank him for getting the newspaper strips published. I would only have been interested in it for the storyline from Larry Niven, but it's nice to have the whole thing. And I was able to get used to the style of it being delivered in daily chunks and had a running start when the Zinti showed up. You always want a running start when the Zinti show up. I didn't know one could buy Eagle Moss Collections piecemeal. That would be the way to go. Say, I wonder if the Starships collection will ever get down to the ones designed for the comics. Well, that's for Eagle Moss to decide. But with new shows coming out all the time, new ships are coming out all the time, and even some of the ships they've come out with are, are just seen in the background of Discovery, for example, like in the Super Future. So I don't think they need to go to comics anytime soon, but who knows? On that, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. If you like our content, want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or a monthly donation. It even unlocks rewards. For example, for $5 a month, you could get yourself on the Starfleet commendations list, like diplomatic attaché Doug Van Diver. Join Doug and I in the fleet at patreon.com. And as usual, let me remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com on the Fire and Water Facebook page, on Twitter, where we are fwpodcast, and you can also follow the show on Spotify. Until next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly. 